Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be uh, looking at verses 3 to 5. And let's pray. Father, I lift up this morning. I lift up, uh, Lord, this time as we uh, take this journey through 1 Peter. This letter, Lord, that is just as relevant today as it was when Peter wrote it. Your Word, Lord, the Word of God. Lord, it continues to minister to our hearts. And Lord, that we would receive today, that we would have and hear everything that You want to speak to our hearts today. Lord, we know how unique You are, that Your Holy Spirit can speak individually into our hearts. And Lord, that we would have open ears to hear, that we would hear what you're wanting to speak to us this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this morning's message, Our Glorious Salvation. And then I added to that the believer's hopes, trials, and joys. Remember, this letter that Peter is writing is, is written in, with the backdrop of a church that was experiencing suffering and persecution. And they needed encouragement. As I think all of us, even this morning, we always need encouragement from the Word of God. We need to have reminders from the Word of God. And I, when I title this Our Glorious Salvation, it made me want to think of when was the last time that I just sat before the Lord and pondered how great my salvation was. Look what God has done. Look what God is doing. Look what God is going to do in you. Salvation. Being saved from our sin. Being saved from the grave. From death. We have victory over sin. Victory over the grave. What a glorious salvation we all have. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're a very unique individual in the eyes of God. Every one of you, very unique in the eyes of God. When you think of the, the billions of people in the world, and you think of all of God's created beings, that, that all the way, you know, you as one individual are very unique to God. He sees you as one individual of His creation. You're not just a mass of people around the world, and God kind of knows you. He knows a little bit about you, because He can't get to know everyone, you know, individually. No, He actually knows you better than you know yourself. That's hard to wrap your head around. He knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you. He cares for your life. He allows you to go through pain and suffering in this life. He's growing you as an individual. Even if you're married... You're an individual in the eyes of God. And yes, He sees you as a married couple, but you're also an individual in the eyes of God. Very unique, even from your spouse. I had a Melissa put up a picture of a picture that all of us have probably seen of snowflakes. That's a amplified picture of snowflakes. They're laying all around. Kathy and we were praying on our way into church this morning, just thanking the Lord for the snow. And pull up and I, and I see all this snow, not a lot, but 
I see all this snow on the ground. And, and by the way, there is a lot, even with that very thin layer of snow that's out there. It takes a lot to amplify one snowflake like that. And think of how many, I wouldn't want to count them all out there, but how many are just on this property right now? And if you think of yourself as being that unique in the eyes of God, you know, this is God's creation right here. Who would have ever a thought until you had a microscope where you could blow that thing up and see that each one of those snowflakes is different? They're all individual. And God sees you in His creation as that. Amazing. And then the God that created all of this is the God that sent His Son into the world to save you from your sin. What kind of a God do we serve? Think of that. The one that's all-knowing and all-powerful that created you. And then... He saw man's failure. He saw the fall. He saw how man disobeyed. Paul, he speaks about that in Ephesians. He says we we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. He said "You, you once walked according to the course of this world. You're children of disobedience. Children of wrath. That's what we were before Christ. And then He saved you. You received this glorious salvation upon you. It's incredible. Paul went on to say, for by grace you have been saved through sin, through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Think of that. You didn't even have to earn it. God just simply gave it to you. The gift of salvation. Did you know that your salvation is not just something that's in the future someday down the road when you go to heaven? Did you know that you were saved the day you repented of your sin and asked Christ to come into your heart and life? You were saved then. Did you know that you're being saved today? That that you are actually being saved today. His blood continues to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify you. To set you apart for His use. To to do that sanctifying work in your life. Day in and day out. Do you feel it? Do you feel that sanctification work going on in your life? As God is chiseling away at your rough edges? your sharp edges. But did you know that your salvation will also be fully realized in heaven when you're glorified? You're in your glorified bodies. And and, and the whole, everything's going to change up. But you have been saved and you are being saved and you're going to be saved when you're in that place where you stand in the presence of the Lord in your glorified bodies for eternity. What a glorious salvation. It's so much richer than sometimes we even can wrap our head around. It's hard to wrap our head around how great our salvation is. I think we'll know more when we're in heaven It's why we're all going to be bowing down and throwing our crowns at His feet. Look what He's done. 
I shared last week that Peter is mentioned more than anyone in the New Testament by name. He's found 159 times in the New Testament by just the name Peter. Then there's the Apostle Paul who's found 157 times in the New Testament. But then if you look up the word or the name Jesus, 981 times his name is found in the New Testament. The one who gives us our glorious salvation. God used Peter. God used the Apostle Paul. But Jesus Christ is our glorious Savior. The one who saved us from sin and from death. Peter, who started out as a disciple of Jesus, who later became an apostle to the Jews, He had a special mission given to him by God. He began writing this letter, 1 Peter, it's called, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. A term that's used for the the Jews that were dispersed from their land. But I believe in context here, Peter is referring to both Jew and Gentile. Those that have been scattered even through persecution and suffering. The dispersion. It began in Jerusalem as the early Christians were being scattered. And everywhere they went, they went preaching the gospel. It was God's way and method of spreading the church, spreading His Word, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, even through persecution. And by the way, God hasn't changed His means and ways of doing that. This epistle here, Peter wrote, it wasn't to an individual, as some of Paul's letters were. It wasn't to a specific church even. It was actually written for all to read. It was written as God's Word is for all to read, but this particular letter, this epistle as he read, it was a general epistle that was written for everyone to read, for everyone, both Jew and Gentile, to benefit from, to be encouraged by. Let's read, we only covered two verses last week, but let's reread them uh, this morning. Look at your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. In other words, when he says to the pilgrims, he's saying to the temporary residents. To the temporary residents in a foreign land. That's them and that's you and I. We're temporary residents here and now. We're passing through. We're pilgrims. We're going to end up all in the same place someday. A heavenly place. Another country. Another place. It's where we're all going. It's our hope. It's our confidence. He says in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And I want to remind you that in God's choosing of you, it wasn't random. It wasn't a random thought that God just simply just... You're a very unique individual and that God chose you before the very foundations of the world. You responded to the call upon your life when He called you by His Holy Spirit. You found out, you realized, you know what, I I need Christ. I need forgiveness of sins. 
and you responded to Him, to His call upon your life. But it wasn't random. You see, God knows and, 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 and who would receive and who would reject. You can't teach God or tell God anything. It's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And it's not just so that you've been chosen so that you're saved, but you've also been chosen so that you might be obedient to Him. You became obedient to the call of the Gospel when you responded to the Gospel, but you also are called to be obedient to the Lord in your living. To know that you've been called by God to obedience. In sanctification, as Peter writes, of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. That sprinkling of the blood in a sense that was upon your life at the cross. When He hung there and He he bore your sin, and, and that precious blood of Jesus Christ that was in essence sprinkled upon you, like Moses sprinkled the people with the blood when he was out in the wilderness with the children of Israel. As he stood there at the Mount Sinai and blood was just upon the people. As the priest would take that blood. Jesus Christ on that cross when He shed His precious blood for you. You, in a sense, have been sprinkled. The blood of Jesus Christ has been poured out upon you. Peter, like Paul, he finishes with this introduction anyway, with grace to you and peace be multiplied. We all need it. We all need to understand it. We need to take it to heart. The grace of God in your life the peace that comes out of that. God, I need your peace today. But God, help me to understand your grace that I might experience your peace today. I need it. Let that be your prayer. God, that I might know your grace more. That I might experience your peace even in a greater way in my life. When trials, tribulations, and difficulties come my way, God, I need Your grace. I need Your peace. I need Your mercy in my life. And as we were reading verse 1 and 2, did you see in verse 2? Did you see the Trinity there? It's an observation. As you look at verse 2, And you realize that God the Father took part in your salvation, your glorious salvation. But we also can see that the Spirit, the Spirit of God, took part in your salvation. We also know that Jesus Christ took part in our salvation. The triune Godhead, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all taking part in your glorious salvation. How complete is it? The God that created the heavens and the earth, that had the plan of redemption for mankind, that went out and sought you out, called you and and saved you from your sin, The Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus on the cross for you, for your salvation. Just as I've shared, salvation is a past, present, and future salvation. What God starts, God's going to finish. Being confident of this very thing, 
that he that began a good work in you is going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What he starts, he's going to complete. He's going to accomplish. He's going to make perfect. That's what the word perform means. God's going to accomplish what he starts. That's a glorious salvation. Think of that. It's why we don't have to sit here wondering, well, I got saved, but will in the end, will I be? Will He accomplish what He started in me? He will. You can be assured of that. Wednesday night, here at the church, I shared from Romans chapter 8, where Paul said in verse 22 and 23, he says, For we know that the whole creation groans in labors with birth pains together until now. Are you seeing your world groaning? In essence, all of God's perfect creation that was corrupted by man. Groaning. Waiting for that day where God is going to restore and make all things new. Groaning. Like a woman with birth pains. But then he goes on to say, and not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And I don't know about you, but in various ways, I'm groaning. I think we all are. Those of us that are struggling even this morning with a bad back, your aches and pains and the things that we experience in the flesh, We're groaning. We're looking forward to that day of redemption where our salvation is complete. We're in these glorified bodies where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more crying. The former things have passed away. You're new in this new creation, these new bodies in Christ. What a day that's going to be. We're all in the presence of the Lord. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you're going to be changed. Glorified bodies. You're going to meet the Lord in the air. And you're going to be there forever. Wow. Before we look at our text this morning, I want you to think about the Apostle Peter. He had 30 plus years of a new life walking with Jesus Christ. Starting out as his disciple and becoming an apostle. 30 plus years of of walking with the Lord and then ministry. And during these years, as we know, Peter failed many times. Failure. Can any of you relate? Failure as a Christian. We quite often do that. And there's many times that Peter, he lacked faith. He said the wrong things at the wrong time. That was Peter's walk. We quite often do the same. We we have failures. But here's the thing, Peter's failures and all of these things are recorded. And probably not all of them. And just think if your failures were recorded in a book like the Bible for all to read, for all of history to look at, and just read of your failures. 
God's going to use this man, Peter, like he uses all of our lives as really a testimony of, look what God can do. Look what God has done in you. Look what he wants to do and continue to do in you. Remember when Peter walked on water and he took his eyes off of the Lord for a moment. Remember what he said at the transfiguration. Remember when he cut off Malchus's ear there in the garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he denied the Lord three times. And here's a servant of God that is writing this letter now to encourage, to encourage you and I. As Christians, we often find ourselves likening ourselves to somebody in the Bible. Have you ever done that? We liken ourselves to an individual that we read about in Scripture. Somebody that we might say, I can relate to that person. Some of us might be able to say, I can relate to Abraham. How about Joshua or Moses? Maybe it's one of the disciples, like Peter, James, or John. Maybe it's Andrew. You know, you read something of that, and I can relate to this person. Hopefully none of us are relating to Judas Iscariot. But we all find that we relate our lives quite often to other people. Maybe it's Mary, maybe it's Mary Magdalene. Maybe it's a Barnabas in Scripture. Maybe it's a John Mark that we read about in, in his, his life, his walk. A Stephen, a Paul. You see, we often liken ourselves to these individuals because we see something in them that we've either done the same or something similar. But you know what it all does for us? It gives us great hope, doesn't it? Don't you receive great hope when you see that there's an individual that even made it to the pages of the Bible? And God's grace and mercy was upon them. And God grew them. And God still had a plan for them. And God still was going to save It gives us great hope. We have Peter here writing these two letters. After all these years of walking with the Lord, ministering with the Lord, And really, it should bring great encouragement to you and I. You see, Peter realized that all of his failures were behind him. The problem with us at at times as Christians is the failures that we have in life, we continue to drag them with us. We keep them with us. We don't let them go. We let them defeat us. And we, we, we just can't let loose of our past and our past failures. They continue to haunt us and to have their way with us. We find it hard to get our, a victory shout before the Lord because, because we're weighed down. Paul said forgetting those things that are behind He had much that he could have thought on of his own life where he had failed God miserably. But he continued to press on. And it's what we're called to do. We don't forget the things that we've failed in in the past completely in our mind, but they no longer are dragging me back to them. I've been forgiven. My sins are behind me. His blood continues to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm moving ahead towards glory. I'm in that direction. I'm in that mode going forward. Peter knew 
that the one way that he could encourage these believers there as he's writing this letter was to tell them about their great salvation. I think it was wise. He he says, I want you to remember back to your day of salvation what, what the Lord had done, what He saved you from, and how zealous and how excited you were knowing that your sins had been wiped clean. That He had saved you from your sin. That He took your place on that cross. That He sprinkled you with His blood. You see, we need to be reminded of our great salvation. Paul knew this too in his own life. He wrote in the first chapter of Ephesians. He wrote about the blessings that you and I receive the day we come to know Jesus Christ. Did you know that the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that God poured out upon you every spiritual blessing that He has in His storehouse? He poured it out upon you all, every spiritual blessing. Did you know that He doesn't just give it to those that have been walking with the Lord for many years and the rest of you just got to catch up? And when you catch up, you'll receive those spiritual blessings also. No, if you've received Christ as Lord, you have all of those spiritual blessings from day one. Just like the saint who's been walking with the Lord for 60 years. Bless, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Sounds like Peter. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. You've been adopted into the family of God. What a privilege. What an incredible privilege. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It says, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance. We're going to read that in Peter's letter even this morning. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That seal, God's Holy Spirit, upon your individual life. He holds you, you're secure in Him. That guarantee to you and I is that seal, that stamp. His Holy Spirit upon your life and in your life. Paul went on to say that it's the guarantee of our inheritance. And it's until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Wow. Paul wanted to encourage the believers at the church at Ephesus. He says, I'm going to ground you in some truths that if you can grab hold of this, if you can start grabbing hold of these truths, I will guarantee you it will compel you forward through trials and tribulations of life. You'll have so much hope and confidence in your God, you'll be compelled to go forward, even in the face of suffering. How do we endure? Through trials and tribulations and persecutions and sufferings of this life? I think we need to know who we are in Christ. 
if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you've never been discipled or grounded enough in your salvation to know who you are in Christ, then I think you're struggling at times. You're having a hard time. Because you see, we need to know these truths. And not only know them with our mind, we need to believe them with our heart. The complete work of your salvation. It's complete. God already sees you seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He already sees the finished product. He already sees the finished work in you. He already sees you seated in heavenly places in Christ. Not because you're the perfect Christian. Not because you've done it all right. But because of what He has done for you. Peter knew his failures. Paul knew his failures. Paul said, I wasted the church of Jesus. I persecuted it. I was one of the persecutors of it. I persecuted it beyond measure. Paul knew. Peter knew their sinfulness, their failures. But they also came to know their God. They came to know the one who saved them. Peter, he knew that his failures were behind him. Do you know that your failures are behind you? Could you imagine if they were all just listed down and you just had to carry them in a book? Carry them in your pocket. Just reminders. Peter knew his failures were behind him. But he also knew that his future and the hope that was ahead of him, it's what he was striving towards. It was set before him, just like a, just like a, a, a finish line before him, like Paul said, running the race. Peter, Paul, you and I, we need to come to know God's forgiveness in a greater way in our life. We need to know His grace more. We need to understand His grace, His mercy. We need to understand how costly His precious blood was that He shed on that cross. It's why he tells us to partake of communion and tell the day that you're in my presence with me, I don't want you to forget. Continue to partake of the cup and the bread. It'll take you back to the cross so that you'll remember what I've done for you. You see, when we begin to grab hold of these truths, we begin to have a victory shout. A shout of victory been one. It was one at the cross. And I hope that all of you have a victory shout this morning for your own life. John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, he says, for whatever, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Have you been born again? If you've been born again, then you have overcome the world. And this is the victory. Here it is. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me ask you that. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, your Savior, the one who came into this world, do you believe that with all your heart, soul, and mind? Are you putting your confidence in that? 
And if you are, then you have a victory shout already. Many times we think the overcomers are the ones that have overcome every sin and temptation and thing that this world can throw at us. But in fact, it's not based upon you being an overcomer of all of those failures and sins, but it's you being an overcomer because of your belief in the salvation and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in your life. That's what makes you an overcomer in this life. Paul wrote in Romans 8.37, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than a conqueror. Through the one who loves us. How confident are you this morning of your personal salvation? How confident are you that you have a future place reserved for you in heaven this morning? How confident are you right now that if the Lord were to be revealed today, that you would not stand before him ashamed. How confident are you in your place in Christ, your salvation, your glorious salvation? As Peter wrote this letter and was considering how great of salvation we have, he begins to list He begins to to give us a list of some of the spiritual benefits that we have in Christ. He begins with words like His abundant mercy. He has begotten us. He has given us a, a living hope through the resurrection. He has given us an inheritance that does not perish, that never spoils, that never fades, and that He keeps keeps for us by the power of God through faith, ready to be revealed in heaven for you. Our glorious salvation. Look what He says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, I love that word. I love mercy, but I also love abundant. His abundant mercy. He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first thing that I see that Peter does when he considers his glorious salvation in verse 1 and 2 is that in verse 3 he begins to to break out in praise and worship. Kyle shared that last week in, in worship about it being an overflow of what God is doing in you. That's, what, that's true worship. Coming from the heart. Coming from a heart that is, in the moment is enraptured with what God has done and what God is doing. How good He is. How merciful He is. How loving and kind towards me that He is. Peter in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Could you just see Peter sitting in a worship service? all of a sudden breaking out in praise and worship for what God has done? And when is the last time that maybe you've done that in your own heart, when you've considered your salvation? Peter, as he's writing this letter, begins to break out in praise and worship. The one who redeemed him He's writing, is the one who redeemed you. 
He did it by His precious blood. These words of praise and worship, they're coming from an overflow. And when is the last time your heart has been overflowed with a gratitude for your Lord? God, bring me to that place where I might have an overflow in my heart. That I wouldn't just sit there with with nothing coming forth out, but that I couldn't help but raise my hands to you, lift my voice to you, and just be thankful and praising you in worship for who you are and what you've done. A joyful heart of worship. Sometimes it might be good to look around the room. Look around and and see the the posture, the faces, the, the people that are enraptured in the moment in worship. So that you might consider, God, what's wrong with me? I mean, why can I not... Give it up to you. What holds me back? A joyful heart of worship and praise and thanksgiving. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just one sentence, but it's saying a lot who according to His abundant mercy, according to His mercy, we're told, He saved us. You see, His mercies are new every day in our lives, isn't it? Our salvation began with God's mercy towards us. It began with God's mercy. You see, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Just look to the cross and place yourself there. Not getting what we deserve. You see, we deserve death. We deserved hell. But His mercy saved us. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, It is from the mercy of our God that all of our hopes begin. It's from the mercy of God that all our hopes begin. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were also once foolish. We were disobedient, and we were deceived. We were serving various lusts and pleasures. We were living in malice and envy, and we were hateful and hating one another. And there's one of those glorious buds. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Our glorious salvation that began with God's mercy that He saved me. The washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's another way of saying that a person has to be born again. Your dead spirit needs to be regenerated by God's Holy Spirit. He needs to take your dead spirit and make you alive by His Holy Spirit. You must be born again. If you are going to see or enter into the kingdom of God, You must be born again, Jesus told Nicodemus. You see, 
Mercy. Where it began. God pouring out his mercy and then drawing you and you responding. And then in faith and in repentance, God comes in by his Holy Spirit and takes your dead spirit and makes you alive. You have salvation. He just delivered me from sin and death. Peter goes on in verse 3. He says, to a living hope. We all have a living hope, Christians, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you notice that verse 3 doesn't end with a period? It continues into verse 4 because this living hope is what leads to our inheritance. You see the word inheritance? Inheritance is getting something of a monetary value, something of substance that somebody may pass down to you. The children of Israel, they look forward to their inheritance which was in the promised land. As Christians, we look forward to our inheritance. It's in heaven. The inheritance is the salvation of your souls. That's the best inheritance we could ever get. Have you ever received an inheritance? You know, somebody passes on some money to you at their death. They give you some belongings, some keepsakes, some things, and before long that inheritance is all gone. Blew through the money in a week. It's all gone. Spent it on this, spent it on a nice car that I want, and now the car's breaking down. Now all the other possessions that I received, they're all just kind of starting to break. They're not, you know. It, there's nothing to those inherited. They're not lasting. The inheritance that we receive in this life, the earthly inheritance, they're different from the heavenly inheritance. Verse 4 says, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead leads to an inheritance for you and I that is incorruptible, that's undefiled, and that does not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Wow. What an inheritance that we have to look forward ahead to. We don't have to be concerned that it's going to be corrupted. That it is going to become defiled. That it's going to fade away. It's no longer, it's, it's gone. It's all, we use it all up. It's, it's all broken. It's all gone. We as Christians have a living hope. We have a future hope. We have an inheritance that is going to last, it's going to go on into eternity with us. Paul in Ephesians 1.11 says, In Him also we have obtained, have obtained, past tense, we have obtained, an inheritance. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have obtained already the inheritance. You can live here on this earth. You can live here now in full assurance. You see, that's our great salvation. That's our, our inheritance you see, sin won't even be able to change that. 
Sin cannot change your inheritance. You can live in this life with having full confidence. Full confidence that you're His. Full confidence that He will never leave you or forsake you. Full confidence that you're a child of God. Do you have that this morning? Full confidence in those things. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's here and now. It's our our living hope. But it's reserved in heaven for you. The full benefits of your inheritance, they're going to be fully realized when you enter into glory someday. Wow, here we go. Entering into glory and understanding and grasping Here's our inheritance seen in these glorified bodies. We're never going to perish. We're never going to die. Nothing's ever going to spoil it throughout all of eternity. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, compare it. Earthly inheritance, heavenly inheritance, something that is going to go into eternity never to be spoiled. Never to perish. Never to be corrupted again. And it's never going to fade away. We're also kept by the power of God through faith. Now this is a big one. God's keeping power upon your life. You're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The keeping power of God in your life. It's part of your salvation. It's part of your confidence. It's part of your hope as a Christian. A verse that I took to heart many years ago because it was beneficial for me was Jude 24. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling, from stumbling, and to present you, present you before the Father with exceeding joy. Can you imagine that? Jesus bringing you right alongside Him and presenting you to the Father and doing it with exceeding joy? Wow. Now unto Him who is able. He's the one that's able to keep you from stumbling. To keep you from falling. To hold you tight. To keep you near Him. He's the one. All that the Father Jesus Christ, all that you have given me, I haven't lost a one. He holds you. His keeping power in your life. This word keep means to guard. Those who are being guarded. It means to watch. God's watchful eye over you as a child of God. It means to keep. It means to keep an eye upon you. And by the power of God, He keeps us by this guarding power. Because He's able. Whenever you see the word power, just realize that, that this is God's power. 
The power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, if that same power that raised Him from the dead is the same power that keeps you from stumbling, from falling, how secure are you? How secure are you in Christ? I think you're pretty secure. I think it should cause us to rejoice. It should cause us to to raise our hands in rejoicing and praise and worship of the, the One who has saved us. Peter, after the encouraging words of verses 3 to 5. He's going to show us the life of a person who is saved and living for Jesus. Peter knew that these saints were in the midst of suffering, trials, and tribulation. He knew that. He wanted them to be secure in their faith. He wanted them to know that no matter how tough things get, God's going to keep you. You're going to persevere. God is going to be with you. Your salvation holds you. I mean, what else would you tell somebody that is in the midst of trials, tribulations, and sufferings of life? I want to encourage them. You have a great salvation. You have a great God that holds you and is going to keep you. And and hey, you have an inheritance in heaven. And though things are tough, it's going to get better. You look what you have. Verse 6, and we'll close with this. And I'll comment more on it next week. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll look at that next week. We've been prepared today if we've taken it to heart for what this coming week has for you. For the coming month, the coming year. We've been prepared because we have great hope, great confidence in the One who has saved us. And so... Read ahead. I shared last week. Read ahead in Peter. Read the whole letter and read it again and again. And let God work these truths into your heart. We're going to partake of communion. I'm going to ask that the the worship team would come up and ask the uh, ushers to come up. They're going to hand out the cup and the bread to us this morning. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in Romans 8.18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Remember, I've been sharing one of the themes of Peter's letter is that suffering leads to glory. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And he will. And so, as we consider, I always like to say that communion is a time of celebration. Communion is a time of coming back to the cross. Coming back in remembrance. It's not some somber kind of thing. We could actually get up and have big smiles on our face and hugging each other if it wasn't for this social... Well, whatever. But we could, 
move around this room and actually be rejoicing in communion. It's a celebration time for the church, for an individual that knows Jesus. We're going to take communion now and we just say, Lord, set my heart right before you. That's what I do during communion. Lord, would you bring to my mind something that I'm failing in, something that I need a fresh washing of, and something that you're wanting to renew in me and restore in me and revive in me. And God, you know me better than I know myself. And God, I I want you to do something in me as I remember what you've done for me. First Peter 1.18 says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Lamb of God, God's Son, who went to the cross on our behalf. He redeemed us with his precious blood.